Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and implanting churches, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The antiphons are short hymns of the ancient church that we sing in celebration of our Lord's first advent and in longing for his second advent. No antiphon more fully expresses the longing for Christ's second coming than the fifth, which when sung goes, O dayspring, splendor of light eternal and sun of righteousness, come and enlighten those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death. Well, let's take our Bibles and let's go to Malachi. And I want to read to you the first three verses of Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. This is the fifth antiphone that we're considering this morning, the Latin of the short chant or hymn that was developed and would have been developed before the 8th century, but they were all compiled together at least as early as the 8th century, would read like this in English. O day spring, Splendor of light eternal and sun of righteousness. Come and enlighten those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. This is the line dedicated to this antiphon, this short course. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. And drive away the shades of night and pierce the clouds and bring us light. Well, in the Advent season, we remember that God has sent His Son and that He's come to bring His salvation to us. And we remember that He's come. But we also remember at this time that He is coming again. When He came the first time, His glory was veiled from us. We didn't see the full array of His might and His holiness. This was all muted to our eyes behind the veil of flesh. But when He comes a second time, He'll shine in the full brightness of his divine holiness and might. He'll come to the earth in the radiant power of his righteousness like a sun that's blazing in burning holiness. That's what's described for us in Malachi chapter 4 in those first three verses. It's the description of this second coming, we would say, of Christ. This final coming of Christ to conclude his work within human history and to bring to complete fruition and climax not only all of his salvation to the earth, but all of his judgments upon the earth. And at that time, there will be two phenomenal results. Two phenomenal results at the second coming of Jesus Christ. When all of this glory and the radiance of his divine holiness is before us and the full blaze of his holiness comes, at that time, it will have two effects. One, it will fall upon an unrepentant and unredeemed mankind in final and full judgment. It will set upon them 
with a burning judgment and at the same time it will set upon those who are waiting for him and believing in him and trusting in him it will come upon them as an uplifting healing light judgment or health a burning or a benefiting blaze both phenomenon when Christ returns let's look at these briefly first the heat of the coming of the Son of God the Son of righteousness will we are told in this passage devour the wicked on the day of his return there will be judgment on all who do wickedly and the day which is coming shall burn them up Malachi writes and as Malachi writes by the way you'll see that he writes with a kind of poetic imagery that stirs not only our minds but our emotions and I believe as he does the prophet in a sense by giving this poetic voice allows us as well to think in a way poetically about these things it's interesting to me that you can read different types of poetry that's written and very often poetry is written when we are trying to take mental concepts and ideas but infuse them with the emotion that's behind them. That's the purpose of poetry is to take the prose and our language and to somehow bring it into a sense of experience before us. If you read your Bibles, you'll see that well over two-thirds of the Bible is actually written in poetic form. It's not just that God wants our minds to be enlightened, but he wants to inflame our hearts and our passions, and he wants to draw us into a note, and he wants to sound a note of the experience that's to be found in God's truth and who God is. We see that in what Malachi is reading. And I think to some extent what we have then is somewhat permission when we come to these truths to allow ourselves to venture in the exploration with them with a poetic mindset. To write our own, it's not just intellectual or intelligence mental intelligence we have we have to also have sort of a poetic experiential intelligence when we come to these things and allow ourselves to enter into the experience of these things so not only our minds but our emotions are stirred a companion passage that goes along with what we've just read in Malachi in prose not in poetry is in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 6 and 10 there Paul lays out for us in plain speech what Malachi has laid out in poetic speech he writes this in verse 6 through 10 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. I think we need to note here that God will judge sin. God must act against sin. There is a recompense for every sin no matter how small. And God will not ignore one part of it or a portion of it of any man's sin. If he did so he would not be holy. He would have to step down from his throne of holiness. To turn away from bringing justice against sin, God would have to relinquish his justice and that he is a just God. He would have to turn away from himself. This is something that God will not and cannot do because he cannot deny himself. He's coming like a son to bring one final burning blast upon all sin and upon all sinners. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what it teaches us. That's what we see. That's what is revealed to us here as the sun of righteousness rises and brings his burning upon the wicked so that there's not a root or a branch left within them. But we also see that the sun of righteousness will complete 
the healing that he brings to those who fear him and reverently bow before him in faith. I think when we read the Old Testament, we have to read into the Old Testament the fulfillment or the truth that is expounded or extrapolated out in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we begin to understand who these faithful are, who these are that now come under the benefit of this healing work of the Son of Righteousness completing His healing touch upon their lives. These are they who have placed all their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are not those who will not have or do not have their sins judged. Our sins must be judged as well. The only difference is this. Our sins have been judged. They have been judged. They were judged in the cross of Jesus Christ. He bore the exacting punishment for all of our sins. Not one of them was ignored. Not one of them was set aside. Not one of them was passed over or winked at. All of them had their judgment made and answered in the suffering that Christ did on our behalf. And our faith and our trust and our rest in Him delivers us from that wrath because the payment has been made in Him. If we won't believe in Him, if we don't receive Him, if we turn from Him, we turn into ourselves and we turn away from God. If you turn into God, He will guide you to this grace. He will guide you to this answer. You'll discover as you turn into God and you seek God that there cannot be any answer in yourself. You'll know it in His presence. You'll seek it only in His mercy and in His grace. But if you resist Him and turn away and turn into yourself and your own sin and your own desires and your own independent life, you'll be without an answer to your sins and you'll have to answer for yourself. But for us, for us, Christ has already risen in a sense. We've already experienced and we've known that He rose up upon the cross to die for our sins and we have His forgiveness for us. For we individuals who know this truth, the Son of Righteousness is still coming. And as He comes in judgment upon the last vestiges of sin and upon the sinners that are upon the earth at that time, at the same time, He comes upon us in a different way. We experience the Son of Righteousness as well, but now the poetry takes the rays of the light of this blazing sun and wraps it around us like wings. And they're wings that lift us up in healing. And so for us who trust and believe in Him and wait upon the Lord, we'll mount up on wings as eagles. What a disparity between the two ideas. A blazing righteous sun burning away, root and branch of all the wicked. A healing sun with shafts of light that come around us as feathers and wings that lift us and bear us into a place of final and complete and total healing. Well, that's it. That's the idea here. He is a burning or a benefiting blaze at his second coming. But now let's turn our attention to the first coming of our Savior. Because when our Lord Jesus came at first, he did not come, as we said, in the full blaze of his glory. We might say this, that his official glory as the Son of God was veiled from our eyes. We didn't see Christ in the full array of all that he was. It was kept from us. That glory was suggested to some extent when the angels gathered around the shepherd and were told that the glory of the Lord shone round about them. But it was largely muted. This official glory was there, but we didn't and could not cast our eyes upon it. It would have been too much for us. In the first coming, the Lord Jesus is brought before us as light and if you find any passage of Scripture that is referencing the first advent of Jesus Christ, 
that deals with Christ coming as light, you'll see there's a little bit of a difference. And the imagery that's brought before us is not the sun shining in his full blaze of righteousness, but instead the language reflects this muted, veiled-off expression of the Son of Righteousness. It's not in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, that we find the prophecy of the first advent of Jesus Christ. More likely, it's in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, where Matthew repeats this truth. And you'll see this in other scriptures. When the first advent of Christ is spoken of, it speaks of it as a first light, as a dawning light, as a light that comes at morning at the end of the night. Here we don't see the sun in its full blaze, but instead we see it as a rising light that begins to flood the earth with the promises of its peace and the promises of a new day. That's the language that comes in the first coming. I quoted to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 in Matthew 14, 16. Let me read to you Matthew's quote of Isaiah 9. He speaks of it and references it to the first coming of Jesus Christ in his ministry as he walked upon the earth. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Zacharias sings over his son John the Baptist that has been miraculously born to him in his old age. And he the rising sun of the Savior, when he came to the earth, was to reveal to us more fully the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his will, and the knowledge of his way of salvation. It is to this gracious coming and light that you are invited to come for life and clarity. He's coming again to judge and bring to ashes all those who have ignored the purpose of his first coming. So heed the dawn. The gentle light can be yours today if you'll face the rising sun. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.